girl boss. This word has become securely woven into the fabric of the social media zeitgeist over the past year or so, a single word used to critique, to praise, and to mock. The word, and the shift in its use and perception over the course of the seven years since its inception, is in many ways reflective of a larger shift, or perhaps schism, in the modern feminist movement as a whole. As old frameworks of feminist thought and rhetoric are challenged, and as calls for intersectionality become increasingly loud, can the girl boss ever truly be representative of female empowerment? I'm Olga Muse. And I'm Ash Mehta. And uh, today we are here to kind of discuss girl boss the feminism, girl boss feminism, girl and boss. the meme and the movement and yeah. everything related to that yeah so i guess just to start like defining what is yeah. the girl boss like who who is she well it's kind of difficult to define as the definition is ever evolving i think the girl boss is this kind of idea of female empowerment coming from individual women holding positions of high power so i thought we could talk a little bit about the history of the girl boss yeah for sure okay so just to rewind a little bit, kind of going back to the origins of the girl boss and like the social and economic cha- uh, changes um, within specifically within America that kind of led to its development. Um, so contrary to popular belief, women have actually been a part of the American workforce since long before World War II pushed many into factories. Um, so during the first and second industrial revolutions, so that was during the mid uh, 19th century and then uh, early 20th, a large number of women worked in like industries such as like the textile industry or as governesses, maids or cooks. I think that the common rhetoric is sort of this idea like, oh, women started working in America after World War II. That was true for middle or upper class white women. Prior to this, the women who worked were usually poor, single, um, or immigrant women, or just women of color. Um, And the labor of these considerably more marginalized women was not, and like kind of, we'll see this kind of today, still is like not as acknowledged or even um, kind of celebrated as the work of like their richer, whiter counterparts. and I think in part that's because it was it was like working as a choice versus as a necessity. Additionally, the second wave feminist movement truly began to take shape in the 1960s and 70s. It emphasized female liberation from the confines of patriarchal constructs such as chastity, traditional gender roles within the home, and even the institution of marriage. A large part of second wave feminism thinking was about dismantling the societal expectation that prevented women from working in the labor force, and so working almost became a political statement, a means of freedom and empowerment. Right. Um, I think it is important to note um, that there were, of course, many roadblocks to these women entering the labor force. It wasn't as if they could just, like, choose to suddenly go there um like pressures to remain inside the home and like raise children and also a lot of um like sexual harassment and such by like bosses or colleagues um and also wage discrepancies which obviously still exist but were even worse back then um like were still prominent issues that impacted and discouraged a lot of women like even these more privileged like considerably more privileged women from entering the uh, labor force but i think the difference kind of lies in the manner in which these issues were addressed by the second and third wave feminist movement like those issues existed not just for the white women entering the labor force but also for the women who had to be there in the first place you know so like lower class like oftentimes women of color these issues didn't begin to be addressed or like kind of discussed and highlighted until after these white women and like upper class women started to join the labor force. The feminist movement continued to center like upper these upper class and like white women white women's voices like mm-hmm. as it discussed these issues. Yeah, definitely. It reminds me a bit of this quote from uh, a 20, 2018 article by Constance Grady for Vox titled "The Waves of Feminism and Why People Keep Fighting Over Them." 
Um, it, Grady writes that the second wave cared about racism too, but it could be clumsy in working with people of color. As the women's movement developed, it was rooted in the anti-capitalist and anti-racist civil rights movements, but black women increasingly found themselves alienated from the central platforms of the mainstream women's movement. The feminine mystique and its problem that has no name was specifically for white middle-class women. Women who had to work to support themselves experienced their repression very differently from women who were socially discouraged from working. Earning the right to work outside the home was not a major concern for black women, many of whom had to work outside the home anyways. Right. My, my favorite sentence, I think, from that quote is the women who had to work to, to support themselves experienced their oppression very differently from women yeah. who were socially discouraged. Yeah. I think that that's kind of like at the crux, like the heart of like the issue. As we enter the 1980s uh, and 1990s, this is kind of where I see like girl boss feminism as like we kind of recognize it within a modern sphere, like really beginning to develop as an idea yeah. or at least like the groundwork for it. Like I think about Ron like think Ronald Reagan, the infamous mantra like greed is good, the growth of Wall Street, deregulation and the quote unquote, you know, freeing of the free market, etc. To me, this is kind of where the image, that image of like women entering a corporate space, not just as secretaries, but as like a more powerful force kind of began to develop. Yeah, it was sort of the birth of like the young urban professional or like the yuppie. Um, according to statistics from Bureau for Labor Statistics between 1970 and 1990, the rate of women's participation in the labor force jumped from like 43% to 57%. Uh, for reference, the participation rate would peak in the early 2000s at 60%. Um, in terms of the mainstream feminist movement, sentiments about women's work was definitely beginning to be not just about advocating for it to be socially acceptable for work, but for women to be in positions of power. It wasn't necessarily about like challenging the economic structures um, but or any economic structures that might like subjugate women to um, like lower positions of power, but it was more about women making space for themselves within those structures. Um, and I think that vision is kind of what really led to girl boss feminism yeah. in a way. Yeah, and then uh, in 2013, Sheryl Sandberg, uh, the COO of Facebook, published the book Lean In, Women, Work, and the Will to Lead, and she discussed the need for more women in powerful leadership roles and how she believes that the reason women aren't seen in these positions is partially because they hold themselves back. And it was sort of the basis for Lean In Feminism, which emphasized and advocated for female leadership within corporate spaces. Right. And a year later, so in 2014, was the year that the girl boss was officially <laughs> born. Um, the term was coined by um, self-proclaimed hashtag girl boss, um, Sophia Amoruso, who is the founder and CEO of the clothing brand Nasty Gal. Um, and the book also titled Hashtag Girl Boss um, chronicles Amoruso's journey to like build up her brand um, and similar Similar to Lean In, it also celebrates female leadership at um, high corporate levels. And um, after the publishing of the book, the term girl boss gained a lot of popularity on social media. Um, and oftentimes to like kind of celebrate or describe successful and powerful women, I'm thinking of like Nancy Pelosi, Kamala Harris, um, and at the time, Elizabeth Holmes who we will kind of discuss a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Just like kind of the shift and change from how the term was used in 2014 versus how it's used today is kind of a stark like shift in a, a relatively short amount of time, although I guess on the internet, like everything moves 10 years <laughs> faster now. Um, like the world girl boss is now like being hurled kind of more on social media rather than used to like, 
you know, it's kind of used with, with this ironic vitriol, yeah, sort of almost. more derogatory yeah. or sarcastic. Yeah, now. yeah. Yes. Often towards like women of more questionable <laughs> moral standing, yeah, both I'll fictional s- and non-fictional. I'll see people calling like s- serial killers girl bosses yeah, or yeah. whatever. <laughs> I'm thinking about like Lady Macbeth, Lucretia Borgia. Yeah. Um, also, like the main character from Midsummer. Oh, yeah. The uh, Ultimate Girl Boss film, Gone Girl. Yeah. Like <laughs> that kind of a deal. Yeah. And then now, um, one of the most quintessential girl bosses, Elizabeth Holmes, is on trial for nine counts of wire fraud. Yep. Um, Sophia Amoruso's company, Nasty Gal, went bankrupt in 2017, reportedly due to mismanagement on part of Amoruso, uh, the girl boss. So. The girl boss has kind of fallen from yeah, her pedestal. From pedestal. Um, so that was kind of a lot. Um, but I think having like the context for the emergence of the term girl boss is kind of important to know when considering like the critiques and shortcomings of girl boss feminism, yeah. which is kind of what we're gonna start to get into now. So what we hoped we sort of outlined in the whole spiel was that girl boss feminism and the celebration of women's power within the context of the workplace and labor comes out of a part of the feminist movement which is very dominated by white and middle or upper class women. Um, So I think in many ways the feminist movement has increasingly focused on the idea of intersectionality in recent years, um, which was a phrase coined by Kimberly Crenshaw in 1989 and is defined as an analytical framework for understanding how aspects of a person's social and political identities combine to create different modes of discrimination and privilege. Right. And in addition to that, I think there's kind of simultaneously a lot more young people who are kind of becoming critical of the corporate capitalism and like the hustle culture that um, girl boss feminism really emphasizes and like tries to work within. According to a 2021 poll from Axios, 54% of people between the ages of 18 to 24 in the U.S. have a negative view of capitalism. So in other words, kind of considering intersectionality and this kind of increased anti-capitalist sentiment, like there's just more calls for feminism to be a movement which does not simply center these wealthy white women on the top of the class pyramid. Yeah. Something that kind of is more... Getting rid of the class pyramid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like getting rid of the class pyramid or just supporting, focusing more on supporting the majority of women who are not yeah. at the top of the class yeah. pyramid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like in, um, emphasizing kind of more consideration for the intersectional like nature of people's lives and like yeah, oppression more focused on like the um poor or black or uh, hispanic women who don't get to be ceos so we spoke to a gender yeah. studies teacher miss edwards about her thoughts so what do you think that girl boss was supposed to represent so like just from your I interpretation mean, well it, i mean it starts right with lean in the notion that you know, any person can go into, uh, you know, a high-ranking, you know, position in a company, run it, right, and to act as, you know, as it's described as being masculine. Well, okay, well, then what does it mean to be masculine, right, and what is considered socially acceptable to be masculine, and, you know, is that acceptable then for women to, you know, assert themselves in that way? Um, And so that's kind of like what I've understood in like it's it's start Mm -hmm. and then of course then it's backlash yeah yeah and what are uh, I guess your opinions on the whole like girl boss feminism movement like what do you think about it the you know this is what I tell my students right is that um as a mom you know I have a son and a daughter yeah right and so I want 
my daughter, of course, to feel empowered. And I want my daughter to feel like, yes, that she can lean in or she can reach any kind of, you know, position without a glass ceiling or without something that prevents her from reaching it, right? Yeah. You know, but at the same token, that, that doesn't mean that it should be at the expense of, like, my son mm. or for men for that matter, yeah. right? And that's where you have to really, you know, yes, you know, there is an importance to acknowledge, you know, that there's still a lot of room for growth when it comes to women in the workplace and women in higher positions of power, but it also means equity. It's acknowledging like of the equal footing that folks should have when they are trying to achieve you know, um, success. Women have been given a less of an opportunity. And that's why you're seeing like lean in or girl, girl boss, because, you know, you don't have enough women leadership, right? And that's why you're getting the push is that some of the things that women need to see, you know, is, is to see it. Like there has to be a visible representation. And if it doesn't exist, you don't know you can achieve it. A lot of people like claim that like the girl boss feminism movement has historically centered white straight cis women like sure. what do you think about like that historically that's been the case unfortunately in in not just in this current you know piece that you're talking about but like in the civil rights movement yeah. too right that and and you're absolutely right I, I think it's absolutely true yeah. is that when we um, you know, talk about gendered issues, oftentimes we do not include race in that. And not all races have the same sets of issues. You don't have all the same socioeconomic, you know, conditions. And therefore your goals are going to be different. How you look at gender equality is going to look different. And yes, I can see how girl boss is very much associated with cis, yes, cisgendered, you know, um, women, white women, wealthy women, absolutely, I agree with that piece. You know, when you're talking about women's issues, it has a historical tradition of speaking to wealthier to middle-class white women. Additionally, we spoke to poly students Maya Perez and Jonathan Wang kind of about their personal thoughts um, and criticisms. I just wanted to start off by asking, like, when you hear the term girl boss feminism, sort of what comes to mind? I think a lot of like white feminism. So it's centered around like white women and a lot of like like capitalistic business oriented stuff. It's like corporate feminism where they're like, you know, female CEOs and all these female stuff, which is like, I don't, I mean, I'm kind of indifferent. I don't really care about that. But I think a big thing of girl boss feminism to me is like making shirts about like, you know, they're like a girl and all these things, but it's like, but it's made by companies who don't pay their women equally. So it's like, right. it's kind of superficial and kind of like, it also kind of like white feminism with me is also like into girl boss feminism, like white women, like the same people who fought for white women to vote, but they didn't care about brown women or Native American women. So it's just kind of like superficial counterproductive feminism. And can you sort of elaborate on like what you mean by it being centered around white women and capitalist um, messages? Yeah. Um, that's actually kind of a reason, the main reason why I don't think it's productive because mm -hmm. it's like girl boss feminism mainly just caters to the interests of like white women and not really like social work or the struggles of 
marginalized women that are in other marginalized groups. A lot of feminists, like, they believe in equal rights for women and they, like, think of women as equally, but a lot of times they don't, like, consider, like, how black women, and, like, if, if black women don't have equality, do, do women really have equality? No. White women have equality, but that's just white equality, so it's not really, like, they don't understand how everything is connected in a way. To me, that's, like, what girl boss feminism is, just kind of, like, fighting for your own freedom, but you're not even seeing how other people are still being oppressed and you're not, you're, you're either contributing to the oppression or just not fighting for their freedom. Do you think that the girl boss feminist movement, do you think that it can be modified in any way to sort of fix that issue? Or do you think that it should oh, just yeah. be replaced altogether? Or um... Yeah, uh, I feel like the meaning of it should just be changed. Because right now when you think of girl boss, you just think of like some rich white lady who is like catering to capitalism and we just need to make it more intersectional, you know, take into account what women of color experience or queer women experience. Maybe there's women who aren't rich. Maybe there's women who don't have that much power. Are they not worthy of being de like described as like quote unquote girl boss? We need to like kind of move it away from like being so centered around money and power and whiteness. To me, girl boss feminism is like a product to sell. So I don't really think it can advance in any way because it's just, for the masses and for everyone to like agree with, but it's not like a real statement or a real movement. So the consequences of like mainstream feminism continuing to align itself with girl boss feminism and all of its kind of lack of intersectionality and its centering of more privileged voices is kind of the loss of many prospective feminists. I think something that there's a real risk of is a lot of girls and like young women not wanting to call themselves feminists. Well, I used to identify as a feminist, but then I felt like I didn't agree with, like, well, I agree with, like, equal rights for women, but I just felt like a lot of feminists I knew at the time just, like, didn't talk about brown women or brown issues, and it was just about being, like, real female equality, but it's, like, female equality means different things for, like, because, like, equality for white women is not the same as equality for all brown women and trans women. I can't really speak on behalf of women but i've talked to many women and they've said that that makes them and that makes them movement like it's kind of embarrassing in a way it's just so like centered around like the western woman that it almost makes like the movement like look discriminatory or exclusionary i think if the feminist movement wishes to remain both sustainable and to truly promote the well-being and success of all women Moving away from this girl boss brand is somewhat of a necessity. The more visibility that we have, the more education we have surrounding it, and the more t more that we have opportunities to discuss these things, you know, um, I think then gives way yeah. to just a healthier work relationship, healthier, you know, gendered relationships. It just if you if you allow yourselves those things and not just assume like, oh, well, that doesn't apply to me, so therefore, why should I care, yeah. right? Then then I think we can get towards a little bit of that equality that I think girl boss maybe intended to get to, Yeah. that just kind of maybe missed the mark a little bit. Thank you for listening to this podcast from KPLY. For more great podcasts, check out our SoundCloud or Spotify at KPLY Pally Radio. A special thank you to all those interviewed and to Megatracks for providing music. This has been Olga Muse and Ash Mesa for KPLY. <laughs>